Somebody named Albert Einstein once said, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life believing that it is stupid. I'm Raleigh. And I'm Danielle. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. Oh, hey, Raleigh. Oh, hi. Sorry, I got caught up in moving around to that tune. I also couldn't... Stop it. Well, <laughs> so, we're really professional there it on that is. one. There it is. You know what? Unedited, people. Yeah, Unedited. There's a, there's a better are. way to do this, I'm sure. But you know what? Let's just do it this way. I feel like this is way more fun. It's like when I used to um, record songs off the radio by pressing, putting a cassette tape in and then pressing mm-hmm. play record. Yep. And having oh, yeah. to time it just right. And then half the time you'd get the DJ saying something in the middle of there. And it was not ideal. But you know what? It worked for me. Or they would start talking over it and you wanted to make sure you got every yes. bit of it. So and you so just you had to. You had to. Yeah, you it was unfortunate. To Gotta live with it. Us us eighties babies or seventies yeah. for some of uh, us. Sorry. Someone has a birthday coming Speak up. For yourself. Oh, yeah. You know what at some point, I don't know if anybody out there would agree with me, but at some point you're just like, oh, can we just skip over it this time? If I skip over it, can I not count it? Sure. Okay. I feel like that counts. <laughs> You know, I I really like your beginning. Some some guy named Albert Einstein. Yeah, I don't know if anybody was aware of who that person was. I just, well, I yeah, just I found like, him on the internet. I feel know. like we can call it back to like episode two or three when yeah. we couldn't figure out Isaac Newton. <laughs> Isaac Newton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. You know what? This is this like you said, unedited. This is just kind of like when you can hear the lawnmower in the background. Yes. Sometimes you can't control what day is lawn day. So you can't, you just yell it. Just we yell it. it. You know, if my dog gets up at some point, he may just uh, yeah. Come yeah, over and might, breathe into might, the microphone. He might have you an opinion. Know. These are very sensitive, these microphones. Yeah, they pick up a lot of things. I probably don't have to sit so close, but you know, whatever. <laughs> like, well, at least we have the pee popper, the yeah, way. Yeah, the pee popper. That's slowly slipping off. That's okay, though. We're going to handle it. <laughs> A-game today. Um, I also, I think for the the very first time, we would like to give a an individual shout-out to a listener who reached out to us on Facebook, correct? Mm-hmm. And messaged us, thanking us and saying that she listens a lot. So and shout out. We're like part of her special ed team. Yeah, that was, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Her name is Becca. So thank you, Becca, for reaching thank out. Thank you. Um, you are officially the first person to have reached out to us this way. Our number so, one fan. Number one fan. My mom is not going to like that, but she is our number <laughs> one. Sorry, mom, you should ask a question. I think my mom quit listening <laughs> at like episode six. She's like, I don't know, special ed. Yeah, it's a niche. It's a niche interest. Um, so the, the thought behind the quote that we chose um, our topic today was going to be about, is going to be about, not was, we're sticking with it. And I'm changing um, your mind. It's going to be uh, about kids who have some school refusal and non-compliance. And something that struck me by that quote was the idea that they, some of, some of this non-compliance or refusal may come from a place of kids feeling like they're stupid, like they don't know enough to be successful. And so it's easier to shut down, whether passively or act out, you know, actively act out to avoid um, feeling stupid and it's really up to us as educators to figure out the best approach to help them feel successful and feel like they you know have a skill set that they can apply and that it's not just something that we're trying to cram that that round peg in that square hole all the time that we're going to adjust how we approach things but also understanding that you know we we've certainly talked about um the art of saying no mm-hmm and that it is not necessarily incumbent upon educators and those working with children to just allow behavior to go unchecked either. So there's a nice balance that you can achieve between, you know, working within a student skill set, but also being able to manage the behavior in a way that doesn't, you know, permit that type of behavior to happen. 
Well, apparently those dogs outside know we're talking about noncompliance with that barking. And refusal to stop barking. And the refusal to stop barking is very high-pitched. They need a behavioral approach, though. I'm not sure about training them. Maybe a different training method. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> try something know. new. Way to try to loop it in, though. Way to try to connect. Well, you know, it, it's uh, it's a little different today, the day it we're is. recording, and it just seems a lot a lot of noise around yeah. us, literally yeah. and figuratively. A so lot we of know. We know. We're so, just living with it. Uh, what I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted by that dog mm-hmm. um, is that I feel like noncompliance and refusal are such... Uh, are sort of the biggest way our kids have behaviors mm-hmm. and by biggest I mean most common sorry yeah, yeah. the most common way so and oftentimes I feel like the non-compliance of kids who aren't outwardly non-compliant um the passive go, can go missed yes can go right. missed and overlooked and then all of a sudden their grades are down and you're like what happened and it's like well, well I could even speak to um non more passive non-compliance even in a setting where behaviors are the norm goes less identified because you're dealing with you're putting out fires elsewhere so a student that might just sort of be passively sitting maybe they're reading a book instead of doing the assignment maybe they're just kind of you know drawing on a piece of paper that's going less flagged in the moment just because there's other things now that's in a specialized setting but i think in classrooms with 20 plus kids you know it could be something i mean some kids have learned to adapt to kind of like fake it, to fake through whatever they need to get through. Like they're they're kind of faking the understanding of what's happening and that they're doing the bare minimum just to get not get identified by the teacher or by the professionals in the classroom. And I think, you know, both of those entities, I think it's like a, a spectrum or there's a barometer for like what's what's a low level behavior that we, you know, regardless of whether the behavior is passive or active, there's there's ways to approach that i think and you know we can certainly think through like what would we do for maybe a student that was more passively refusing or just not really meeting the standard um what are some ways we could think about addressing that yeah well and i think to add to that too in addition before talking about that i think there's an assumption too so all of a sudden these kids are uh refusing or or passively non-compliant or not passively non-compliant and all of a sudden it's like they need an ip they need specialized specialized instruction and i i think there needs to be a lot more education i think in the in the united states at the very least i can't speak on behalf of the world so Mm -hmm. anyone who's listening from another country um Let us know if this is a similar problem, yeah, but I do think it's like you wait too long. So, and we talked about this, I think, in an episode with when we talked about school absences. This to me is similar in some ways, where if a student is just not doing things but doing enough to get by, and then all of a sudden they meet their match with, with curriculum that becomes too hard mm-hmm. and they can't sort of just get by, yeah. and now all of a sudden it's like this kid needs specialized instruction, and it's like, well, do they? Or do they just need some supports to catch up or some accommodations to be able to close the gap yeah. a little bit? Is this a moment in time, or is this a true disability? Yeah, we're big proponents of the accommodations. Yeah. Well, and of, and of kind of really assessing and analyzing the situation and not just throwing the same approach to every kid or to assume, you know, I'm running into this all the time as an occupational therapist within a, um, you know, a private separate school setting for kids with you know big behavioral challenges is you know the the end goal is always what we start with you know we this kid needs an i um uh, they all have ieps this kid needs an ot evaluation well let's go back rewind give me the first thing you know what what is the reason for this 
this question or, you know, what's the question you're asking? What is the reason that you're coming to me with this? There's ways to interject and intervene prior to going to that level. And so how can we do that? And I think I just like to always think of it as what's the most functional way for a child to access the curriculum within that natural setting rather than removing, making things more restrictive, making things like less generalized. We want to try to generalize if we can do that in the moment, in the setting, we obviously want to do that first. And so it leads me back yeah. to the, the scenario of, um, a student who maybe is in a larger classroom setting, who's barely scraping by, but as you say, what's an example of now, now maybe they're in sixth or seventh grade, they've scraped by this far. Now they're meeting more challenges, There's more abstract things, more, abstract that you have to think more critical thinking. And I think you would start by what would you, you know, what would you, what would you recommend that we say to start with looking at? Well, I think you look at um, what a student is capable of doing and you meet them there. I mean, to show um, an understanding of a concept doesn't always mean they have to get at, complete every single piece of a worksheet or complete, right. have them work with a partner, have them work in, the, in a small group. And if they're anxious about that, have them, you know, a lot of times there is someone that they're familiar with in the classroom. So if you're partnering them up with someone to help ease some of that anxiety or some of that, um, that challenge, you can, you can split the difference with some of that work. So they're not, and you and you're still checking to make sure that dog, sorry, <laughs> you're still checking to make sure that they understand the content. It's not always, I think it's something that I've been saying a lot is really helping people understand, um, accommodations versus modifications and there are hundreds upon yeah. hundreds of different accommodations you can use for kids in all different realms and and ways to use other people i think other kids and i think that's something that's newer to people i think kid, peers are undervalued mm -hmm. and so i think accessing them especially at the middle school level or higher is 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 huge for kids right and i think something that i often make recommendations about when it comes to kids with OT services is that obviously at some point, especially as kids are becoming middle school students, high school students, you really want to focus on content. And I often make recommendations around assisting kids to get that content out, whether it's speech to text, for example, or typing instead of writing, making sure that there is a way to check in with kids and, and understand and getting to understand what they are missing and what they have and what they know. And if it's not, being generated in a way that everybody else is, that's okay. And that could be one step. I mean, again, this is, we're talking about kids that maybe have the school, you know, fear or anxiety around, like, I'm just not gonna be successful. I don't wanna take these chances because I struggle with handwriting. I struggle with reading. Math is really poor for me. How else can we get kids engaged in that sort of multimodal, multi-sensory, what are other ways we can get them engaged to show that they're making progress and understand the concepts? And can we be very creative with how we do that? So it's not just about whether they can take a certain type of test. Like, oh, everybody's gotta take the test this way and everybody's gotta do this manner of, of you know, showing that they can, that they've learned the skill or the concept. How can we be flexible in that? Well, and something that's, can, um, so the research that I've, Done, I've done in this area. So I've, I've done a lot of work in learning styles and identifying learning styles. I think one of the challenges or one of the pushbacks in the research is that it limits people to one mode of mm -hmm. their strength, right? Which is great in a lot of senses, but having some knowledge and understanding about how to build your weaknesses, but an idea 
that you could throw out there for a kid who's non-compliant or refuses is having them take that quiz or having your class take mm. that quiz of what learning. Kind of says, learning there's a there's a ton of them. Yeah. I'll swore. There's a ton of them online that you can just search learning styles and find a good one. Actually, my speech and OT colleagues co-run a group at the school I'm at, and they presented that test to a classroom of middle school, mostly middle school boys, to have them start to internalize and be more self-aware of your own learning style. And the kids absolutely loved yeah. That. It's. I mean, as an adult, the those type of learning teachable moments for adults has always been. I mean, I think about a training we had around um, leadership styles, mm-hmm. and and that stuck with me. And it's like, how do I, how do I then work with people who have different styles than me, and and collaborate together in a team setting and it's similar to that because when you have your learning styles then you can group kids a little bit more or give kids choice when they have to demonstrate understanding it's very empowering um and it gives them it helps build their independence i also um using having some reality around the technology in the world Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying kids should rely solely on it but how often do we as adults rely on our calendars on Mm -hmm. our calculators on our email on our phone like having some connection to that in your classroom might help get kids over the hump that's something that even you know i said we're working with kids that that all you know have ieps and have learning challenges pretty much that is something that i think is just recently even with this subset of kids become more acceptable is you know i can think of a parent saying but is it okay that we put this on her iep that she uses a calculator could that just be like we don't need to make special arrangements for just, you know, our standardized testing that we do every year. Like, could we just do this all the time? Like, why are we worried about using that? It's not like it's too much of a crutch or too much of a, a helper to ha- like, let's just make that part of functioning in life. You get to use a calculator that makes your life easier. And now that particular kid isn't so caught up in lining up all the numbers, making sure everything, you know, it, it takes away so much of that frustration and it, doesn't to me take away from understanding the concept of how to add subtract multiply and divide you're still putting it in the calculator i don't on a regular basis think about what how am i going to multiply these two digit numbers together like i'm just using something else to help me do that well i just saw um on a tiktok video um i follow a lot of educators on oh there, that's so. what you're on there for yeah, yeah. that's it Correct. just that so yeah there was a guy, I wish I could remember, I actually liked it for the purpose of this podcast, no, I can't oh, remember no. it, so I'll share it out later, Great. Um, if it allows me to, but he was saying, like, normalizing more life skills-based classes, yeah, by the time kids I get done, she's like, get rid of Algebra 2, and no one's saying that, oh, teachers, oh, sorry, no Algebra 2 that. teachers, yeah. no, no, sorry, um, you're important, and, and, and I, I also want to preface this by saying, as someone who graduated high school thinking I knew exactly what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. saying I would never teach, mm-hmm. period, as mm-hmm. I we talked about in a previous episode, mm-hmm. um, you also don't want to pigeonhole kids. But if they know they don't like math, why are we forcing them to do three years of, of math that includes like pre-calculus? Where were you... Th- so many years like, ago, <laughs> you know, it's. I understand that there, there, are, and why not have if there's a math requirement, have it be more managing a checkbook mm-hmm. how to manage Love your credit it. how to i'm like, not sure who's writing checks these days but you don't mean that kind of checkbook. no i don't you just mean no. your account balancing yeah, your account, account. Balancing your account. I, I do love a good check writing, letter writing. I think it's important. Yeah. And and you can make that harder based on the skills that you're yeah. teaching kids. It's not, I just feel like people in general think it's just such a basic Right. It's thing. almost like a stigma. Like, yeah. oh, life skills. Oh, we know what kind of kids you're talking yeah. about. No, I'm actually talking about all kids. Yeah. And 
dare I make the, the assumption or the, you know, this proclamation that many kids currently functioning in the, in the world, in America, in the United States, are all struggling to be more successful in the world in terms of like accessing community skills and, you know, the banking skills you're talking about, like all of those things, I think are, you know, I, I teach, I teach kids about map skills. Like yeah. they're like, why do we care about this? We have GPS. Yeah. But you may someday need to know that. It, I just think becoming more well-rounded in how to figure things out in life. And yes, we will meet these requirements for the standards of every state. We still want to make sure of, that, of all that, but is there a creative way? It, I think it's just about getting more creative it's, and, and that reaches certain kids. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it also creates a little bit more buy-in. It's funny that yeah. you say um, the creativity and doing more hands-on stuff. Mm-hmm. We've been essentially out of internet for two days in our district, mm-hmm. and it has been like... Ah! <laughs> like people There's probably like a meme for yeah, that or like, something. So the teacher I taught, uh, one of the teachers who's super creative, so it was like no problem for her. She's like, oh yeah, I just pulled out some stuff. They did some mm-hmm. cut and paste. This is the eighth graders. Yeah. Cut and pasting activities, oh, and they love loved it, paste. whatever. You know what? Um, just really quick... To all my educators out there who work with young children especially, please don't forego the hands-on arts and crafts. Those are bread and butter. I feel and like any age. Great, I know, but I, please, if I could just get kindergarten through second grade, please don't let go of those skills because kids don't have those skills anymore. And then guess what happens? They need OT. We got to get OT because they don't know how to cut. Those are all such engaging ways to, to have, help kids yeah. learn. Well, and, I, and so I think, yes, and I also think it engages kids who are non-compliant and kids who refuse. It's a different way of approaching a task that they don't know that they're learning. Mm-hmm. I think what the same thing is finding, in, okay, not that I know a lot about Pokemon, but oh. <laughs> um, I feel like we had to this learn took a, a, turn. a thing or two. There's a purpose. Okay. Um, for a lot of middle school or maybe younger middle school, I don't know, kids really like Pokemon. Why can't you build math lessons and still have content around that or or spelling, mm-hmm. spelling challenges where you have, you know, a list of spelling words and then you throw in a Pokemon yeah. name or like yeah. whatever. There are ways that you can engage kids who are hesitant to do any. I mean, I just it's such an under under thoughtful well it's underutilized skill but i also think this these types of kids who have this um who just stop and say no i'm not doing this no it's the core belief their core belief i think we we talked about all behavior having meaning we know that this isn't just you know kids aren't just like born with this idea of i'm gonna refuse this like i'm just i'm just gonna refuse i'm gonna i'm not i'm gonna go through life refusing everything everybody asks me to do we certainly can put a subset of kids into a different category depending on diagnosis neurological functioning but i think the average kid does not just walk into the world and say i'm just going to tell you no i'm not going to do that i'm not going to give my best we all like to get that feedback that we're successful it's funny that you just say that because i that's the one thing i like plug all the time for adults is like just assume positive intent yes no one's coming into the workday and saying let me how let me figure out how i can um make sure this kid doesn't do any of his work let me me make sure yeah let me just make sure i screw up your day like so to your point and, and and think back to when you were a kid you know you wanted adults to think that you were really smart you wanted them to think you were great you wanted other kids around you to think that and if you don't feel that way about yourself and you're not seeing that adults or other kids are you know thinking that way about you because you're not conforming to how everybody else learns it just builds this pattern of 
I'm not going to be successful. I can't do it. And so again, you have the kids that sit quietly in the back and just sort of let the world revolve around and, and they just kind of do the bare minimum and get by. Then you have the kids that are more in your face that might throw a pencil, that might rip a paper, that might tell you to F off, that might write something, as we like to say, unexpected mm-hmm. on their paper. Um, and that's a different way of, you know, th- there's a different approach for that. That's not your name. Yeah. <laughs> your name is Jack. I asked you to write your name. I asked you to write your name. <laughs> that, I, don't I know this spells something else and it's not Jack. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, what's interesting, so I think also one of the solutions that people have is jumping to a para. Mm-hmm. So there's a kid that I that we work with that's in already in a substantially separate setting within the district. And just for I I'm assuming everybody knows what a para is, but oh, in case sorry, you a know, para in case educator, you're listening in Belgium and you're paraprofessional, like, teacher's aide, assistant teacher, someone who helps support kids um, either one to one or in a group setting alongside a teacher, just not like a pair of pants, to, not a pair of pants, pair of shoes, yeah. <laughs> um, provides accommodations that's what that's another thing that we're doing is like helping people understand that they're supposed to provide accommodations and if you need a special ed teacher that's more modification Mm -hmm. but anyway so Mm -hmm. they help provide accommodations to kids throughout the day and so we have this kid who's already on an ip sub sub separate setting and he puts his head down Mm -hmm. well he's already in a subject that he hates and he just refuses. And so the immediate thing the teacher said is, he needs a pair, he needs a one-to-one aid. And we're like, well, whoa, just like you said earlier, yeah. why, are why are we jumping, jumping to, to this? Like, let's this. try yeah. to figure out what the issue is, why he, this is so hard for him, why he's refusing. And again, it's that passive um, non-compliance. And then I think, and so all within the same couple of days, fast forward to a high school kid who's had a one-to-one paraeducator mm-hmm. with him since first grade, kindergarten, whatever. Birth. Birth, yeah, following him around. As many of you know, there's a huge shortage in the special education slash education world. It's weird and we so, haven't talked about that before. So, so I covered, I went in to uh, help support the classroom where he needed a one to one support. So I'm like supporting him throughout this class. I'm like, this kid does not need any of me. Mm-hmm. Like, he could probably, he can manage himself. He could teach the class. He could probably teach a class. <laughs> um, really, really funny kid. And so at one point, we're like talking. I was like, why don't you try this yourself? And I kept saying, independent Joe. Mm-hmm. Like, I kept mm-hmm. trying to like push that, like, you're independent. You don't need me. Mm-hmm. And of course, the smile, right? That confidence. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I said to him, you know, I bet, uh, I bet you just want me around because you like to someone to chat with. He's like, yeah, you're right. I was like, you don't need me. You just need some of that reassurance all the time. And mm-hmm. he said, yeah. So he, we built over the course of time, this learned helplessness for this kid. Right. And I feel like this is for these passively non-compliant kids with explosive kids. This e- happens even faster. Oh, absolutely. And you're real. And then you're no tolerance. And, well, and then it's like, well, now it's your problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is a huge challenge. And we, I've talked about that too, because when we end up, in a setting, a therapeutic setting or a setting for kids with social emotional behavior problems, most of the time the district has tried everything in their power and that includes a Mm one-to-one in a separate setting with no other kids. So Mm -hmm. then when they have to actually not have any one-to-one support in a setting where they belong with kids around them, it ends up having this just huge... Right. So how do we support those kids who are more explosive? Is it... I mean... Well, I, I think it's a hybrid. I think it's still finding the way to connect and I think that's where a lot... You know, when you speak about using the interests of kids, like that's what, something that we do all the time is try to hook them in with interests, whether it's interest-based learning, it's interest-based incentives. But I think that you can establish kind of a like a 
cohort of things happening. So you could apply some of the same ideas of how do you minimize the frustration about academics? I mean, I, I say it to people a lot like this. If I, if, you know, sometimes people will say to me like, oh, why doesn't that kid know how to tie their shoes? I'm like, well, right now they're explosive and hurting people and they're angry. They're probably going to be dealing with that before they worry about tying their shoes. And so I think it's bringing down the anxiety, bringing down the tension and, and the stress. And then we're dealing with, okay, now how can we buy you into learning a little bit more? Whether it's breaking things down really, really basic in terms of what, how you present material. Do you present less of a math worksheet because the math worksheet's a trigger because for three years, math worksheets have been impossible to do and I never want to see another math worksheet. Can I present it differently? How do I present the information in a way that looks digestible to that kid? How do I hook them in with interest to get them to feel comfortable in a classroom? We have a student that came to us who, like you had just described, was basically one-to-one, could not be in a classroom, comes to us and you know, the immediate success of just being in a classroom, just tolerating being in a classroom was progress. And now it's okay, you've tolerated being in a classroom. We maybe didn't have huge expectations. Now we're starting to build in more expectations. And what we notice with these kids is a lot of times their performance and IQ are just where they need to be, mm-hmm. but there's been some reason that they can't access what they're capable of accessing. When you peel away that anxiety, and you peel away some of that defiance. And sometimes it's defiance for you know other reasons that aren't just school-based issues, or like, I just don't have the confidence, or I don't feel like I've, I have the skill set. There could be mood disorders and other things, so I'm not discounting that. But we've seen it across the board with some of the most challenging students. The feeling of success and the feeling of confidence breeds their willingness and wanting to take on more challenges and that builds even more success and you start to see the progress so i think for certain behaviors it's got to be that kind of Mm -hmm. coexistence of modifying accommodating you know hooking them in and also hey if you're still acting out and doing these type of behaviors here's the response we're going to have well i think we also talk we have always talked about like like you said, finding that one goal, this is what we're working on now. I feel like there are sometimes where people are so overwhelmed that they're like, well, he needs to do this, 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 and this. And it's like, okay, what do do we need to do? What do we need to do first? And let's get past that. And again, celebrate that success because, um, and it doesn't, it doesn't always mean celebrate success in a huge way. It's something specific. It could be like, oh my gosh, you did this problem. And like writing the student a note, um, because some kids hate that and it draw mm-hmm. attention drawn yeah. to them and it creates more non-compliance well, and we talk about people. knowing your students yeah. knowing how to read your students knowing that this kid really needs a little bit more fanfare and this kid does not want that acknowledgement sometimes i just do like you know knuckles like let's yeah. just pound whatever you call it you know um, but there's a kid that's so one of my kids right now is so proud of himself that he's finally changed his pencil grip after oh. years of of working with that and he is beaming with pride to show me that he can do that there are so many small successes and the more that i found in my career the more kids feel successful and the more that they see you as their biggest fan cheerleader and champion the more that they are going to buy in eventually sometimes some kids take years some kids take months mm-hmm. but i think there's a way to kind of extinguish and diminish, diminish and extinguish 
the behavioral outburst or the passive refusal and defiance, there's always an approach that you can take. What I think that fear uh, for teachers, the fear of missing curriculum is yes, also another right. piece that I wanted yep. to draw attention to mm-hmm. during this episode because I do think that is the first response I mm-hmm. get anytime I offer a suggestion. And it's like, well, what if, what are they going to miss? And it's like, well, are they getting it what now? Right. Like, are they accessing it now? Because well, if they're not accessing it now, what does it matter well, if we adjust it? Well, it's almost like the hierarchy. Like, yeah. is, it, is it Maslow's? Is yeah. it Maslow? Am I saying that? Maslow. Maslow. I should know this. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Quinnipiac. Um, hierarchy of needs. The bottom, like, you know, basic needs first. Like, we can't be actualized if we're not getting our basic needs met. So kids aren't going to be doing algebra if they can't sit in their seat and, you know, complete whatever assignment comes first. Like, we have to... and I, And I when I say teachers are stressed, I feel like they panic over mm-hmm. they're not going to meet the, you know, the standards and the curricula. Okay. There's a place to start though. That's not yeah. here. You're starting too far down the line. Right. And you're thinking about it. And I also think that, and I know us special educators and us in this part of the field of education know all, know all of this. I also think, um, want, you know, fair isn't always equal. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the things that gets, stuck with us is that it's like well if this kid needs it what about all these other kids mm-hmm. it's like who cares and i think about that for like things like specialized seating and um, we have to tell our students this all the time that's what i mean fairness isn't everybody gets the same thing yeah. fairness is people get what they need i mean yeah. that's just life sorry and sometimes you have to take a step back in your classroom and say what's the big deal mm-hmm. you know what i mean like what's the bfd right like what <laughs> what am i trying to teach what's my goal of this lesson mm-hmm. and if every kid gets a multiplication chart Right. Does Why it actually that? matter in right. this moment? Even if kids know how to do multiplication, but if your focus isn't multiplication, who cares? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of... Because you know what? At the end of the day, we're just trying to build well-rounded human beings. That's right. Who can be part of our Who know how to society. navigate their way through a forest if they lost their GPS. Yep. That's all. Do you do that as part of one of your lessons? You go <laughs> no. into the woods and say, here no. you go. <laughs> yeah, I drop them off. Here's a water and some trail mix. Good luck. Like the and office? Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Raleigh, to close this out, I got one for us today. Yeah. It's a would you rather. Okay, I'm ready. Now, would you rather Mm -hmm. have no one laugh at any of your jokes or not be able to laugh at anyone else's jokes? (sighs) I mean, this is almost a no-brainer for me because as someone who prides herself on joking all the live long day... I really need people to laugh at my jokes. I don't like that I wouldn't be able to laugh at others, but I I have to go with I'd rather not be able to laugh at other people's jokes than not have them laugh at mine. And I'm going opposite. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because... Because you're used to people not laughing at your jokes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like without... I don't know what I would do without laughing all the time. Okay. So there's that. So here... So I guess... Yeah. It's not going to... I was going to say, I can tell the jokes and you can laugh, but no, that's not how it's... Yeah. I'll tell yeah. the jokes and you laugh. Yeah. Perfect. We're good. We're all good. Right. Sorted We're it out. We got sorted it. We out. have it figured out. We have it sorted. <laughs> all right. So um, please find us on our social media platforms at Unstuck Podcast One. Be like, be like Becca. I was just going to say, be like Becca. <laughs> be like Becca and leave us some reviews and yeah. some good stuff. Five-star reviews on like, you know, Spotify or Apple Music, tell wherever you get your podcast. how much you like us or yeah. how annoying we are. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Facebook, we can handle it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I mean, I feel like LinkedIn, I really just, I try to 
pump us out through the ed field. All right. Um, you do your thing. You know, you're the social works. media person. It works. Yeah. You do you your know. thing. So, all right. Uh, check us out there. Thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to next time. See ya.